You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Uh, I've got a great word. We're, we're doing a brand new series called Jesus is King. Just kind of borrowing a leaf out of Kanye West's book today, Jesus is King. We're coming into Christmas. And uh, you would have noticed already just the, the spirit, the atmosphere around. People are happier. People are kinder. Even in the midst of frantic shopping and com- competition for parking spaces, the, the stores are singing Christmas carols. They're singing about the birth of Jesus. People, people in the culture are for the first time thinking of others, not just themselves. When you were born, your mum had to kind of, you know, do some intervention just to make sure you got to where you are today because anything that was on the ground, you were marbles, Legos. It's like, you know, you spend the first three years trying to keep your kids from killing themselves. It's like crawling pool, water. It's like, oh, you know, and uh, there's something about this. You know, we're kind of born with a selfish nature, a sinful nature. I got four kids. I didn't have to teach one of them how to lie. They all just somehow learned that. I didn't have to teach one of them how if they broke something to blame it on a sibling. Didn't have to te- I didn't have to teach them how to. Now, kids, when we get in the car and mum and dad need peace, this is how you start a fight in the back seat. This is how you say it's mine and don't share. I didn't have to teach them any of that. All of that was intrinsic. All of that was there naturally. We are born with a sinful nature. And uh, so Christmas is so powerful because it's the first time in the year where we're actually thinking, of other people. What am I going to get, mom? What am I going to get, dad? What am I going to get, my? Oh, no, that's, I've got to get something spare. And it's, it's not a bad thing for us to be thinking of others. Ideally, it'd be great if we can do it 365 days a year. So there's a lot we can learn about Christmas. Hence, Jesus is King, the series. The title of my message today is Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Uh, today, I want to uh, open the scripture. There's going to be a lot of scripture. I did finish in the 8.30 and the 10, I'm proud to say. So I'm believing God that I'm going to, yep, finish my three points again here. But today I want to lay out before you, I want to present to you the impossibility of your salvation and my salvation and how we serve a God of the impossible. We serve a God of the impossible. So come with me, the opening scripture. We always give you a scripture so that you're, your faith is not rooted in the persuasive words of men, but rather in the promises of God. So 1 Timothy 3.16, 1 Timothy 3.16 is not for God so loved the world. That's John 3.16. This is 1 Timothy 3.16. And it says this, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then received up in glory. Received up in glory. One more time, God was manifested. God was revealed. God appeared in the flesh. God is spirit, but he clothed himself in flesh and bone in the person of Jesus Christ. Was justified in the spirit. When he came up out of the the, the baptism in the Jordan River, the spirit alighted, descended upon him, came to rest upon him like a dove. John the Baptist said, I would not have known who the Messiah was, except God told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit fall and remain upon, he's the one. Jesus was justified by the Spirit. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all 
not most, healing all, not some, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So he was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. Angels bookended his life. When Jesus was just born in Bethlehem, and we were there, we were there just, just a couple of months ago in Bethlehem, uh, and we were literally at the place called the shepherd's tent, and there's fields that still to this day shepherds are in, and they're saying that Somewhere in the skies right here was where the angels appeared to the shepherds. For thousands of years, that's where the sheep graze. It's right by water, and, and that's where they graze. That's where the, the angels would have appeared to the shepherds, saying about a little over a mile away in an inn, in fact, in the back of an inn in a barn, uh, in a feeding trough, in a manger, you're going to see a sign from heaven. The Messiah has come, and you'll find a little babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes is the, 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 the rags they use to wipe up the milk after milking the cows. And so they wrap little baby Jesus in swaddling clothes, and there he is lying in a manger. And the Bible says these shepherds go and they see the sign that the angels. So the angels, hark the herald angels, declared the birth of Christ. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But then when Jesus died on the cross and then rose again on the Sunday, when Mary Mary and Martha and John and Peter got to the tomb. The stone was rolled away, and they thought, who rolled away the stone? Well, the Bible says two angels rolled away the stone, and then they look in, and there are two men sitting in white, and they look up perplexed, saying, why seek ye the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Behold, he's gone ahead of you to Galilee. You still here? And, and so angels witnessed, angels saw him angels proclaimed him he was preached among the gentiles the gentiles you and i are gentiles up until that time salvation was to the jewish nation only but for god so loved the whole world god so loved the whole world through Jesus Christ, you and I come into the blessings that God promised to Abraham, the blessings God promised to Isaac, the blessings God promised to Jacob, the blessings God's promised to David, the blessings, all the blessings that God promised to Israel, and now yours and mine in Christ Jesus. So he was preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, believed on in the world. I love, I love how prophetic it is. The world's going to believe him. Let me, let me just say this. Christianity is not a behavior. It's a believing. You don't behave your way into believing. You believe your way into behaving. Every other religion is powerless because all it does, all it wants to do is modify behavior. Modify your behavior. Christianity deals with the root. It de deals with your believing. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes... Not so whosoever behaves, whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. The, the whole mess, the whole conundrum that we're in began, the Bible teaches, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent said, has God really said? Can you really trust God? Because the, 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 the devil knows that when you and I walk in believing in the promises of God, when we have faith in the promises of God, when we believe what God said, then we're in a good spot. At that particular moment... They had no reason to doubt God. Everything God said had happened. God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let there be a ferment. There was a ferment. God said, let dry light. There was dry. God said, let the oceans speak. The oceans speak. God said, let the ground produce. The ground produce. God said, let there be. And there was. God said, let there be. And there was. And now the devil comes to them while they're in paradise, while they're in tranquility, while they're in Eden, while they're in bliss, while they're in happiness. It was God that looked down and said, you know what, Adam? It's not good for you to be alone. Have a sleep. Have a little catnap. While he sleeps, pulls out a rib and says, here you go, son. 
Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. No, Adam, Adam, it's her birthday. Oh, happy birthday to, and it was God. That was all God. And now the devil says, can you really trust God? Has God really said? See, this world has so many teaching institutions. We have so many education institutions. All of them, all of them have been corrupted by a spirit of humanism. And the, 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 the essence of humanism is you can't trust God. That's why when you come to the house of God, you're the smartest people in San Diego. Because you know I'm going to go to the house of God. Because at the house of God, I'm going to hear something that I can't hear in college. That I don't hear in university. That I don't hear. I'm going to hear the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. How do you know if you're hearing the word of God? It's very simple faith rises. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know that you're in the right house if it's a faith house. You know you're in the right house if it's a, if you walk in with more hope than sorry if you walk out with more hope than you walked in with you're in the right place. If you if you come in a little bit beaten up, a little bit tired, a little bit overwhelmed by the world but you, you know the house when you walk in and you believe that with God all things are possible, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the you're in the right place. Faith is the lightning rod rod that attracts the power of God. Jesus, Jesus was walking with his, with his posse, with the disciples. The Bible says the crowd was thronging him. The crowd was, was all over him. And the Bible says there came a woman behind him in the press. The Bible says about this woman that she'd been uh, bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, she had not been able to stop bleeding. Because of this, she was anemic. Because of this, she was, she was weak. The Bible says that she spent all her livelihood on doctors and physicians who couldn't cure her. Rather, she suffered terrible things as they tried to experiment outside of their expertise, outside of their guidelines. And now she's, she's not only still bleeding, but she's poor and she's in pain. But the Bible says this, that when she came into the crowd behind Jesus, she said, because faith always has a confession, she said within herself, if only I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. It is as you say. She comes behind him and she touches him. And the Bible says the moment she touches him, she's healed. So Jesus stops and says, whoa, 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 who touched me? And the disciples are like, what the heck are you talking about? Everyone. The crowd is thronging you. He says, no, no, I'm not talking about thronging. Somebody touched me because I felt virtue. I felt power flow from me. The crowd parts, and here's this, here's this woman on her knees saying, Lord, Lord, because you need to understand, Jesus was revered and referred to as a rabbi. If somebody with a, a discharge from their body touches a rabbi, the rabbi is unclean and not able to, to perform his priestly duties, not able to go into the temple. That's why she's fearful. But she says, no, no, as soon as I touched you, rather than what was in me affecting you, what was in you affected me. What was in you affected me. She didn't make Jesus unclean. Come on, somebody. He was the Messiah. His cleanness cleaned up her, and she was healed. But what, what was it? It was Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has. The devil doesn't want you to have faith. He don't mind you going to church. He don't mind you hearing the law. 
because the law condemns. When, when, when the purpose of the law is to show us that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The, the, the law of God is there to show us, oh, dear goodness gracious, I can't make it to heaven by my own strength. I need somebody to come and rescue me. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero to the morning light. He's got to be fat. He's got to be strong. He's got to be larger than life. Jesus. So we need someone from the outside. <laughs> we need somebody from the outside to come and rescue us. So that's Jesus. Anyway, let me give you into these three points before I sing another stupid song. All right, number one. Number one. Mission Impossible. Number one, it was against all odds. It was against all odds. Against all odds. Genesis 3.15, God's now speaking to, to the devil. He's speaking to the serpent after Adam and Eve have sinned. He says to Adam, what is this that you've done? And Adam, blame game, the woman you gave me. He says to Eve, what is this that you've done? She says, the serpent. And the poor old serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. And that's a bad joke. That's a terrible joke. Anyway, so now God is dealing with the devil. And he says to the devil, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. Some translations crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. I like this because God, this is the first, the first prophecy, the first declaration that God says, the sin in the garden, I, I am going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. Now, Genesis 3 says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. It's interesting that the, the, the word serpent in the Hebrew is the word nachash. Nachash. In, in Hebrew, every letter has a numerical value. They call it gematria. The gematria of Nahash is 340. There's only one other word in the entire Hebrew lexicon that has the same numerical value, and it's the word Mashiach, Messiah. In other words, God is saying, the mess you just created, serpent, the Messiah is going to come and completely cover and completely blot out and completely nullify and completely eliminate. So here he says the Messiah is going to come. But watch this. It says, I'm going to put enmity, hostility between your seed and her seed. A woman doesn't have seed. A woman has eggs, ovaries. The man has seed. So God was declaring, watch this. This is how it's going to happen. The seed is going to travel through a woman. In this church, they told us three things not to do when I came to San Diego. They said, oh, Pastor, if you want to build a big church in San Diego, don't do these three things. Number one, don't empower women to leadership. One of those. And if you, if you listen to a lot of the, 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 the teaching that's out there, you know, I do not permit a woman to, to teach or have authority over a man, uh, but to stay silent. If they want to know something, let her ask their husbands at home. They're lazy. They don't say that, but it's similar to that. Similar to that. And they say because, you know, because the woman was deceived and not the man. And so therefore God has got a real problem with forgiveness. So he's still holding resentment against the woman. And therefore she can't, which is true. God has a real problem with, what part of the gospel do you not, anyway. So anyway, so, so how, how like God, how like God, if it was Eve that messed up, that God would use the woman to be the vehicle to bring forth the solution. If sin came because the woman was deceived, the woman was deceived. So God says, you know what? The woman was deceived, but another woman is going to conceive. 
And what serpent, Nachash did over here, Mashiach. I'm going to bring it through. That's, that's God. He's good. He is so good. But watch this. It's so beautiful. And he says to the serpent between your seed. Well, he doesn't have no seed. So his seed is his deception, is his lies, is his perversion. So fast forward a couple of thousand years later, there's a valley. And in the valley stands the devil's seed. In the valley stands Goliath. Goliath. How do we know that Goliath is the seed of the serpent? Because the Bible says the angels came, came from heaven, left their former estate, and went into the daughters of men and produced a hybrid. The Bible says there were giants on the earth in those days before the flood and also afterwards. And here comes Goliath, who is infected with the same genetic perversion that started before the flood, and here he is, the seed of the devil standing in the valley, saying, give me a man that I, this day I defy. I defy the promises of God. But from God's seed, here is David. And David comes into that same valley. And the Bible says, I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Isn't it interesting that a stone went into the head of Goliath? Isn't it interesting that David took the sword and cut off the head of Goliath? The head ended up in a place that they later named Golgotha. Golgotha literally means skull of Goliath. Skull of Goliath. Fast forward about another thousand years. A thousand years later, there is Jesus. And they nail him to a cross. They put nails through his wrists and nails through his feet. God said, the enemy will bruise his heel. But the very heel that the enemy bruises will crush his head. Because they lifted up that cross and there was a hole in the ground. And they dropped that cross into the hole. The name of the hill where Jesus was, was crucified is Golgotha. Skull of Goliath. Skull of the enemy. God was showing that, yeah, you may bruise his heel. You may think, oh, look, I'm taking him out. I'm killing him. You have no idea. When I lift him up and I drop him into, I'm dropping him into your skull, I will dismantle your authority. I will remove your authority. I will break your power over humanity. That's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. So let me just show you this. So, uh, you know, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But do, do you know the impossibility, the probability of the Messiah, of a human being fulfilling the, the prophecies? There are 61, 61 direct prophecies without going into shadows and times, which I'll show you in a minute, the impossibility. So uh, a great mathematician uh, uh, his last name is Stone, I forget his first name, uh, looked at just what it, would what it would take for one human being to fulfill just eight of the 61 messianic prophecies of the Messiah coming the first time. Now, there are prophecies of Jesus coming a second time. Let's just even leave that one alone. But just eight of the 61 is, is one to the power of 10, sorry, one in 10 to the power of 21. So you do one chance in 10, with 21 zeros afterwards. It's the same as covering all the landmass of planet Earth in silver dollars to three feet high. You marking one of those dollars, blindfolding somebody, putting them in a helicopter, letting them fly all over the world, and then them reaching down and picking up that exact 
That's the chances of one person. For, for example, the Bible says that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah. In the book of Micah, I think it says, Micah 5.2, it says, Jesus would be born in the land of Judah, in the city of Bethlehem, or is this tiny little town of Bethlehem belonging to Ephratah. Then it says that he will be born of a virgin. How many virgins do you know that gave birth to somebody in Bethlehem? But it gets, it gets even crazier, it gets even crazier that the Messiah would be of the lineage of David. In fact, let me, let me kind of break it down a little bit. The, the, the Bible says that the Messiah would come from the lineage of Isaac, would come from Isaac. God said to Abraham, and in Isaac, your seed shall be blessed. And then Isaac had two sons, Yaakov, Jacob, and Esau. But it wouldn't be from the descendants of Esau. It would be from the descendants of Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 sons, but it wouldn't be from Reuben, wouldn't be from Levi, even though Levi was the, the priestly tribe. It wouldn't be from Simeon, but it would be from the fourth child, Judah, that he would be of the tribe of Judah. Judah had many sons, Perez, Hermon, it has all these sons. But it would, it, it would come through the lineage of Jesse. And that Jesse, who had eight sons, that of the eight sons, it wouldn't come from Eliab, it, wouldn't, it would come from the youngest son, the eighth son, David. So now we're getting into like, this is just that he would come. So we know that he was going to be the seed of David. We know that he was going to be the seed of David. That he would be born in Bethlehem of a virgin, of the seed of David, of the, of the seed of Jesse, of, of the seed of Judah, of the seed of Jacob, of the seed of Isaac, of the seed of Abraham. The impossibility just starts getting really, really narrow. Then uh, in the, the year 1000 BC, there was a prophecy that, that this Messiah would have his hands and feet pierced. Now, what's interesting about this prophecy is 1000 BC, when, when Psalm 22 was written, there, there, there was no such thing as crucifixion. Crucifixion is still about 980 years away from being concocted by the Romans. So, so a, a thousand years before the Romans, a thousand years before the birth of Christ, the psalmist, as he's writing prophetically, sees that the Mashiach, the Messiah, would have his hands and his feet pierced. Not only that, but two verses later, he says, and they'll be gambling for his clothing. I see them gambling for his clothing. Both of these are fulfilled in the book of Matthew. They, they pierced his hands and feet on the cross, and then the Roman soldiers began gambling for his clothing. This was a thousand years earlier, this was, and then it was fulfilled by the man who was born in Bethlehem, by the man who was born of a virgin named Mary, by the man who was of the, the house of David, of the lineage of Jesse, of the house of Judah, of the, the lineage of Jacob, of the lineage of Isaac, of the lineage of Abraham. It gets even crazier. It says that the Messiah would also be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We know again, Matthew 27 tells us that Judas went out and traded with the Pharisees and they gave him in exchange for Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. The, 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 the massive improbability, how against all odds, and yet here is Jesus. It, go, it gets even crazier. It says that he would ride into Jerusalem. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. In, in uh, the book of Zechariah, it says, Behold, your king comes to you on a donkey, on yea, a foal, the colt of a donkey. The Bible says that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a, a, a donkey on whom nobody has ever ridden a young donkey. First 
first time Jesus is riding the donkey, he came in through a virgin. He rode in on a donkey that has never been ridden before. And the Bible says they put palm branches and they put their, their clothing on the ground and they all began to say Hoshana or Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The name Hoshana, Hosanna means save, save. They were literally saying save. They were prophesying save, save. You're, you're about to go to crucifixion and God made sure he lined up on the street as Jesus was fulfilling another prophecy, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was against all odds. But you know, do you know why it happened? Because you and I serve a God that against all odds, it may be against all odds for you to buy a home in San Diego, but you're going to do it in Jesus' name. It may be against all odds for you to get, you're going to get pregnant. You're going to have a, it may be against all, God, all odds to beat this medical condition. You're going to beat that medical condition. You're going to be, it may be against all odds to see your family saved. I'm telling you, you and I serve a God who doesn't look at the odds. He doesn't care about the odds. The odds can be 1, 10, 21 power against him. He is a God of the impossible. Come on, somebody. Give God a praise. We serve a God of the impossible. How do we know that Jesus is the one? He split time in half. It's the year 2019. The earth's been around longer than 2019 years. But it's B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Buddha came, Muhammad came, Confucius, they all came. They're all proclaiming, hey, I'm the way, I'm the way, I'm the way. But only one person got up out of the grave. Buddha died, Confucius died, Muhammad died. They all died. But one person on the third day rose out of the grave. Because the Bible says he would rise from the dead and prove to the whole world. How do I know that Jesus got up out of the grave? Because a selfish drug addict that was so lost, was so hopeless, using everybody, not not able to fill the void on the inside on a beach, January 1986, closed his eyes and prayed a prayer, inviting Jesus into his life. A God that he'd never seen before or experienced came into his life, and the moment he opened his eyes after the prayer, everything was different. I was born again. That same God has been walking with me for 34 years. I have 100% proof that Jesus Christ is real. In fact, I used to say, I used to believe in miracles, not anymore. Now I, now I depend on miracles. You know, every, everything we do, you ask Pastor Colin, he sits on our, on our board, you know, and I love Colin because he's a man of faith. When we were buying Desconto, he's like, you know, we don't have seven and a half million dollars. And, uh, and he's like, hey, Pastor, you think this is God? Let's go for it. Life's too short. I like having fighters in my corner. So, but God has come through every step of the way, every step of the way, every step of the way. God has done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He's a God. The odds don't need to be in his favor because he's got you in his sights and he'll get it to you. Don't look at the odds. Look to your God. Can somebody say amen? All right. Number two is against all hope. Against all hope. The Bible says that contrary to hope, in hope, Abraham believed. Genesis 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, for, the, for a Messiah to save us, all the way through the Old Testament, they had a sacrifice system. When Adam and Eve sinned, remember they sewed fig leaves together? They felt like they could, they could maybe cover their own sin. And God's like, uh, what are you doing? He goes, you know that they're gonna, it's going to shrivel up and die. So what it's covering right now is not going to cover too long and it's going to fall off. And you're going to have to just keep ripping stuff off. So the Bible says that God clothed them in skins. That day, an innocent animal died to provide a covering. Most, most Bible scholars believe it was a lamb that died 
to provide covering for them. The Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. Now, the reason Jesus says Alpha and Omega is because our Bible is written in, uh, New Testament is written in Greek. And the first letter of the, the Greek alphabet is Alpha. The last letter of the Greek letter is Omega. But Jesus didn't speak Greek. He spoke Hebrew. And Jesus said, I am the Aleph Taf, the beginning and the end. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the Aleph, and the last letter is the Taf. It's interesting because the symbol of the Aleph is an ox, and the symbol of the Taf is a cross. The Jesus says, I am the ox, the sacrifice on the cross. I'm the one that is to be sacrificed on the cross. It's, it's, it bookends the, the entire Hebrew alphabet, and it's all the way through. Against all odds, and then against all hope, Jesus came. The, the Messiah would have to be sinless, and yet the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you read your Bibles, which I encourage, Genesis 6 tells us that the sons of God, the angels, uh, Enoch called them the watchers. They were the first pornographers. They saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, so they left their estate in heaven, and they came in and they went into the daughters of men, and they produced a hybrid race, the Nephilim. And the, the reason they were doing this is because they wanted to wipe out the Imago Dei. They wanted to wipe out those that bore the image of God. Remember, God created man in his image and in his likeness. Well, now the angels were coming and they were going into the daughters of men. They were using the men to reproduce beings in their own image, not in the image of God. The Bible says the earth was filled with violence because of them. The reason it was is because they were wiping out the image of God bearers. But the Bible says Noah was blameless in his generations. Poor translation. The actual Hebrew says Noah was monogenous, genetically uncorrupted. Because they were trying to, because they knew the Messiah was coming through the seed of the woman. Through the seed of a woman. So they knew if men, if we could eliminate the seed of a woman, then we can, if we can make sure that the man doesn't get to. If we, then we can live forever on the earth. And it literally came down to one last man, Noah. He was the only one monogenous, uncorrupted in his generations. And he was in, saved in a flood. It was almost over. But against all odds, Jesus came. Now, Genesis 1 is awesome. Genesis 1, the creation, God said, and it was so God said. Genesis 2, the Bible says there's no, no, no rain had fallen on the earth, but a mist went up, and God created a garden eastward and Eden. There he put the man who he had formed, and he brought all the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. Giraffe, rhinoceros, hippopotamus, chimpanzee, you know. Hey, you know, and... You know, awesome. And the, but the Bible says there was no helper for Adam, so he puts Adam asleep, pulls out a rib, brings the woman. It's just awesome. Genesis 3, suspense is like any, any great story, has like a twist and suspense, and the serpent was more cunning, and now the fall of man. You're like, oh, man, what's going to happen? Then you turn chapter 4. Chapter 4, you see the, the impact of sin. Sin never affects one generation. It's always generational. And so the, 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 the sons of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Cain murders his brother Abel, but she doesn't just lose Abel on that day because Cain is driven out from the presence of God. And so in one day, Eve loses both her boys. She loses Abel to murder and she loses Cain to banishment. So here is a woman who, who is now grieving and broken. But the Bible says that Adam knew his wife again and she conceived and brought forth and named him Seth. Seth means appointed. 
Seth means appointed. What does appointed mean? It means that she, she, was, she was prophesying. She was saying that when you're in mourning, God has already appointed joy. When you're in loss, God has already repoint, appointed restoration. When something's been stripped unjustly from you, you better believe that we have a redeemer who's going to bring redemption. And right now you may be feeling sorrow and loss and mourning, but God is going to turn your mourning into dancing. He's going to turn your sorrow into rejoicing. You're going to be laughing again. So she brings forth a baby boy and she names him Seth. I'm not sure who needs to hear that right now, but I'm telling you, it's a word from the Lord for you. Maybe there was loss this year, but I want you to know that God has appointed. God is an appointed God. God has got a Seth for you. God has got a home for you in Jesus' name. God has got a baby for you, Mike, in Jesus' name. God has got good things for you. Can somebody say amen? So then you get to, to chapter five. It's boring. Chapter five is like, and Adam begot Seth, and Seth begot Enosh, and Enosh begot Canaan, and Canaan begot Mahalalel, and Mahalalel begot Yared, and Yared begot, and you're just like, boring, <laughs> boring. It's like, ten gener- it's like a genealogy, but then Genesis 6 gets exciting again, and Noah, and the flood, and the angels, and Nephilim, and giants, and violence, and it's all awesome, and you know, two by two of every animal, like it's, it's all awesome again. But God was, was intentional about Genesis 5. He put a little code in there so that if the 61 prophecies of Jesus' first coming is not enough, he put little signs and little codes all the way through the scriptures. So in Genesis 5, what you and I read is we read the names of the 10 generations from Adam to Noah before the first judgment comes. So we know that Adam gave birth to Seth. Seth gave birth. Well, Adam didn't give birth. His wife did. But Adam... From Adam came Seth. From Seth came Enosh. From Enosh came Canaan. From Canaan came Mahalalel. From Mahalalel came Yared or Jared. From Jared came Enoch. From Enoch came Methuselah. From Methuselah came Lamech. From Lamech came Noah. All these 10, ten names have meanings. All these 10 names have meanings. And this is the meanings of, of, of the names. Adam means man. Enosh, uh, Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Canaan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the great God. Jared means shall descend. Jared's son was Enoch, the seventh of Adam. His name means teaching. His son, Methuselah, who was the the oldest man in the Bible, the man who lived the longest in the Bible, says his death shall bring. The Bible says that God is not slow in keeping his promise, but long-suffering. Isn't it interesting that that? It was Enoch that prophesied the flood. And Enoch has a son. And God says to him, call him Methuselah. In other words, his death shall bring because I won't bring the judgment until your son dies. And he doesn't live for 50 years, doesn't live for 100 years, doesn't live for five. He is the oldest living man in the Bible to show God's patience. Second Peter says how God waited patiently for people to repent before he sent the flood. That the oldest man in the Bible is also indicative of God's long-suffering and grace. Methuselah means his death shall bring Lamech, the despairing Noah, comfort and hope. In a sentence, in a sentence, man appointed mortal sorrow. The great God shall descend teaching and his death shall bring the despairing comfort and hope. Now let me just ask you the question, which figure in human history most resembles that person? Come on, his name is Jesus Christ. That's why, that's why we say Jesus is king. Can somebody say amen? All right, the last one. 
So Jesus came against all odds, against all hope, but watch this, against all evil, against all evil. Turn with me in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 12, Revelation 12 verses 1 to 6 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew aside a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour the child. As soon as it was born, she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Her child was caught up to God into his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where a place was prepared to her and they shall feed her there for 1,260 days. That's Revelation. What's interesting is that, that uh, the wise men that came to Jesus, remember when Jesus was a little, just a little toddler, the wise men came. They came from the east, but what were they following? Does anybody remember? They were following a star. These were astronomers, not astrologers. Astrology is, again, the, the, the spirit of humanism, perverting and contaminating everything that God created. I want you to understand that there are 12 constellations because 12 is the number of government. On a music scale, 12, uh, there's uh, 12 calendar months in a year, 12 apostles, 12 tribes, 12 archangels, 12. 12 is the number of government. 12 disciples, 12 apostles, 12. The gospel is preached in the heavens, the, the constellations and the stars. So here it says there was a sign in heaven of a woman clothed with the sun, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a garland of 12 stars above her head. You can actually, because of our technology today through the constellations, we can actually calculate the time where Virgo was in the sky, where the position of the sun was in her belly because she was clothed with the sun. And the full moon was actually under her feet. And above her, there was a garland of 12 stars. And it comes out to the date, September 11, 3 BC. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a, there's a reason that the, the, the devil hates September 11. It was when Jesus was, was born. September 11, 3 BC. But the Bible says there was also another sign in heaven. Because not only was this sign, but the sign was accompanied with the dragon, with the serpent, before the woman seeking to devour the child as soon as it was born. When Jesus was born into the world, remember, remember the wise men came and they took their eyes off the stars. What a lesson. They started out listening to God and then they, they stopped the God thing and they started asking the locals for directions. Keep your eyes on what God is showing you and what God is saying. Don't ask the locals for directions. Keep your eyes on God. But because they ask the locals, they go into the palace because they think he's a king. He's got to be born in a palace. And they go, hey, Herod, where's the guy who's been born king of the Jews? We want to worship him. We've been traveling for thousands of miles. And we've got, we got all these camels filled with gold and frankincense and myrrh and precious, priceless oils and all kinds of artifacts. And no, not for you. No, no, for, for the one who was born king of the Jews. We saw his star. Herod's like, I don't got no star. I got here through manipulation and appointment and bribery and compromise and selling my soul. And there's somebody 
who's got a star in the constellations. That's a threat to, I, I ain't giving up my throne. I'm not giving up these perks and privileges. Oh, um, wow, a king with his own star. Um, would you inquire as to where this king is? Because I'd love to come and ki- ki- worship him too. I, I really feel the need to worship him as well. The Bible says that the wise men, when they, when they left the palace, they looked up and they saw the star and it led them to where Jesus was living. And when they got there, they bowed down and worshiped and they opened their, their gifts, their treasuries, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought them to, to Christ. And then they were warned by an angel not to go back to Herod, but to depart another way. The Bible says, when Herod saw that he was deceived, he inquired of the scribes and the Pharisees when the Messiah would be born and where he was to be born. They said, oh, in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. And, uh, you know, about three years ago. And so he had all the male children under three murdered. Why? Because it was prophesied that the dragon would try and devour. The devil wanted to wipe out the Mashiach. The, the dragon knew that for me to rule, I've got to take care of the Mashiach. Now, fast forward. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's a story where with Moses, when the children of Israel was going through, through the desert, the wilderness, they kept complaining against God. And so fiery serpents came among them and started biting them. And the hematoxin of, the, of the, the venom from the serpent was killing them. So they came to Moses saying, you got to do something. you got to do something. So Moses was like, God, what do I do? Tourniquets? And God was like, no, no. Get, a, get a, a, a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up. Bronze in the Bible is always symbolic of judgment. Silver is atonement. 25 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. Silver is always atonement and, and gold is divinity. And so bronze is judgment. So make a serpent out of bronze, put it on the cross and lift it up. And whosoever looks at the, the, the pole with the serpent on it, it'll nullify the hematoxins. Now you might have had some people say, how's that going to work? I've been bitten by a snake. I'm going to tie a tourniquet. Well, all the tourniquet tires died. But all the people that looked at the serpent on a pole lived. Because we don't earn, we don't make our way. We can't save our way into heaven. We can't save ourselves. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, they're like, if you are the Son of God, save yourself. Like the whole point, Barry Doofus, was he didn't come to save himself. He came to save you and me. So Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now you're like, hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've been talking about oxes and you've been talking about lambs. Now you're talking about Jesus as a serpent. Glad you brought that up. Thank you for bringing that up. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, to become sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus literally, remember, it was the Nahash, the serpent, that got us into this mess. And what was the Mashiach going to do? He was going to cancel out. He was going to overlay. He was going to eclipse the working of the serpent. So the Bible says when, when Jesus hung on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness fell across the land. There was no eclipse. The darkness was God extracting the sins of humanity. All my sin was extracted from me and was put onto Christ. Christ didn't just bear our sin. The Bible says He became sin. 
He became literally the very thing that was the most vile and the most, the most antithesis to God on the cross. But the Bible says that Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, when Jesus, remember when he was on the cross, one of the last things he said was, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in 33 years, Jesus felt the Father turn his back. He felt the Father disconnect because he had become sin. He had become abhorrent to God. He had become offensive to God. And at that moment, the entire wrath of God that was going to rest on you and I was redirected like a heat-seeking missile. And Jesus absorbed the full wrath and the judgment of God upon himself, but he made an exchange. So on the Day of Atonement, they would bring a lamb examined three times. Jesus was examined three times. Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, the lamb had to be perfect. All three said, without spot, he has done nothing wrong. He has done nothing. This man does nothing deserving of death. This man is innocent. This man has done nothing wrong. Three times. And then they would put the lamb perfect and they would confess the sins of the nation onto the innocent lamb. And the, the wickedness of the sin would fall on the lamb and the lamb would die for what it had not done. But its innocence, God would grant us back to the nation of Israel so they could walk in. And Jesus was the lamb of God hanging on the cross. And when he became sin, guess what? You and I in exchange, when you look at the serpent, when you look at Jesus, understanding what he did on that cross, you understand you didn't become the righteousness of a rabbi. You didn't become the righteousness of a priest or the righteousness of a Mr. Katowski. You become Ratowski, you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't get more righteous than that. When God looks at you, He sees His own righteousness reflecting back. Now, here's the thing. I live with me. I live with me. And I know that I'm not who I used to be, but I've still got some ways to go. I've still got some checks and balances here and some colorful language there and some issues on the freeway. When And I, I, I still got some stuff on where, but you know what? It's not what I have done or haven't done. It's everything that Jesus did when He hung on the cross. It's what Jesus did. When Jesus hung on the cross, He did all the heavy lifting. Because of Jesus, you and I are the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of a priest, not the righteousness of a rabbi. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because all your sin has been washed away because Jesus absorbed the entire blow of all your sin upon Himself. And then He gave you His righteousness and it's the righteousness of God. When God looks at you, He sees His reflection. That's what He always wanted. He said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Man was always meant to reflect His righteousness, always meant to reflect His image. Jesus accomplished that. Jesus accomplished that. The devil's a liar. He'll try and tell you your righteousness is what your hand has produced. Your righteousness is what you, through through stress and through, through discipline. No, no, no. Your righteousness is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What the serpent lost in the garden, what he messed up in there, Jesus redeemed on the cross. Can somebody say amen? Now let me finish. I know I'm out of time, but let me finish. The Bible says, Jesus for the joy that was set before Him, gladly endured the cross. I, you read that and you're thinking the Bible writer here in Hebrews is insane. You cannot put a crucifixion with the words joy and glad. There is nothing joyous. Yay, I'm getting... There's nothing joyous about crucifixion. Jesus was beaten, whipped with 
crown of thorns rammed into his head and then nailed to the cross after being stripped naked and hang on public display for people passing by. It is the most shameful, degradating, humiliating, vile, painful, excruciating death. You die of asphyxiation, of drowning, because you can't breathe. The only way you can breathe is you have to do a pull-up on the, the, the nails in your wrist so your diaphragm can expand to release the oxygen and the carbon monoxide trapped in your lungs that are now breaking down the linings of your lungs so your lungs begin to fill with fluid and you die slowly, agonizingly, and painful. And yet the Bible says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, gladly endured the cross. What possible joy or gladness could Jesus have been experiencing on the cross? Simple answer, the joy and the gladness of knowing He was redeeming you and redeeming me from hell. He was taking me out of hell into heaven. He was taking you out of hell into heaven. Jesus, for the joy set before Him, gladly endured the cross. He saw your face in eternity. He saw you restored to the Father. He saw you living forever. He saw you healed. He saw you delivered. He saw every addiction and every chain snapped and broken off your life. He saw you free. He he saw you in joy. He saw you in peace. Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him, gladly endured the cross. Friend, it's not to whosoever behaves, it's whosoever believes. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com.